Hey guys and welcome to a new episode of Five. My name is Francisca and before we start into our conversation, I will shortly introduce you to Diane Walsh, our guest of today's episode. Diane is a professor at the Bryan School of Business and Economics at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro in the United States. So as you might uh, guess, uh, today we're talking virtually with Diane and um, she's been teaching in the field of entrepreneurship uh, since the late 80s and she has a lot of interesting details um, with us to share. So I'm really excited and let's just start right into our conversation. For us, entrepreneurship is not necessarily about starting or running a business. It's a state of mind, a principle of life, and an approach to dealing with problems. This is Five, your university podcast on female entrepreneurship by the Munich University of Applied Sciences and the Strasheg Center for Entrepreneurship. We strongly believe in diversity. It's just so much more fun and exciting. Diversity in food, in cultures, in places, ways of living, learning, creating, and doing things. It's this desire to explore that we all have in us to see new things. And yes, to be curious to look what's behind the next corner. Hey, Diane, and welcome to our university podcast. I'm so happy that you could make some time for us and to be here. Yeah, hello. <laughs> hello. I still remember the time when we met. I think it was like 2018, right? Like in Brussels, we were shooting for the MOOC in like a little hotel room. That's actually the first time when I met Diane, a professor from the U.S. And yeah, that's that's how we met. And since then, we just kept in touch. And we've met at the GCEC conference in Stockholm uh, in 2019. And now, now you're here in our podcast. I am. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think it's it's just super interesting um, your whole um, career as a professor in the States and working in the field of entrepreneurship and you've got so much experience uh, in education, entrepreneurship education. So tell us a bit maybe about your career life and the story. Uh, how did you decided to become a professor and how did you get into the field of entrepreneurship and yeah. Well, to begin with, I came out of a family business. My father created the very first soft-sided luggage in the world in the very early 60s. And at the time, the luggage was all hard-sided and it would burst open if you got it too filled or if it was on the airline, uh, the luggage carousels coming out, it would open up. It was heavy. Uh, people with back problems had issues. And so my dad looked at their sporting goods line. My dad and my uncle bought a company out of bankruptcy about 1960 that was named Boyt, B-O-Y-T, Division of Welsh Sporting Goods. 
and it was in the early 60s. And um, it was originally the Boyd Company was started by two Englishmen in 1901, and the original factory was out of Des Moines, Iowa, and then it moved to Iowa Falls, Iowa, and it was a manufacturer of military equipment, uh, tents, uh, gun cases, gear bags, you know, things that uh, armies and military would put guns in and equipment in, these great big canvas bags. It was 100% cotton denim uh, kind of material. And so um, they also made saddles and for English writing. And originally the company was making saddles for also for, you know, b before the days of cars and everything for practical use. And so they bought the company out of bankruptcy because it sort of got too big too fast and there was a bad recession in the late 50s. And so they bought it out of bankruptcy. And my dad looked at the gear bags and said, and these were like gear bags, duffel bags. He said, look, we could make soft-sided luggage out of this. And so he designed some square bags and my mother dyed the very first samples in our basement and soft-sided luggage was born for the world. So I came out of a very creative entrepreneurial family that was very innovative. And so uh, my entire family worked there at one point. My mother was a head of sales and my dad um, was the president of the company. And so um, we lived in this little town of Iowa Falls, Iowa, but we were doing extremely innovative uh, products for the time. So my dad used the sporting goods line as sort of the um, background or the foundation of the business because there was always sales coming in from that and then built the innovation on the, the new luggage that was soft-sided that the world uses. So if you think of backpacks um, and book bags and all like most of the luggage people use now is all soft-sided and my father created that he wasn't able to get a patent on it because it wasn't a unique process but Boyd division welsh sporting goods uh, was the name of the company it was the first soft-sided luggage in the world and it was sold in neiman marcus marcus Shell fields all the major department stores all over the world and um, they always had special luggage they created for the Christmas catalog or the holiday catalog at Neiman Marcus is pretty famous. And then the, the material, the luggage evolved from 100% canvas duck, as my dad called it, to uh, cordura nylon, which is pretty much what uh, a form of the material that's used nowadays in soft-sided luggage. So I was around a very innovative, creative, entrepreneurial family from pretty much the time <laughs> I was born. At least uh, we had the company. Uh, I remember having my seventh birthday in Iowa Falls. So basically from the time I was seven, I was around this company. And in I worked there in high school. I worked at every level of the factory um, from cutting threads on luggage to working in the shipping room to sales 
And when I was in college, going off to college, I was able to sell on commission and got a company car that way. And uh, it was a really hot Buick Skylark. <laughs> and it was like 1977 <laughs> Buick Skylark, bright orange. It was a V8 with black bucket seats. I was pretty cool. <laughs> and I was going from that car down to college and back. So I was around the family business my whole life. And so entrepreneurship is just in my blood. The very first business I had was um, picking blackberries on the side of cliffs that grew wild around our house and red raspberries. And I would pick those and my mother would save the little strawberry plastic containers from the grocery store all year long. And then I would put them in the plastic containers and I'd go down to the fairway market and sell those to the, to the produce manager and um, I did that from the time I was like 10 years old. And I had contests with my two brothers who were making pot holders. And we had a contest one summer to see who could make the most money. And I remember I won. I sold more <laughs> red raspberries and black raspberries than my brothers sold pot holders to the neighbors. <laughs> so I, I think I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've been very creative and entrepreneurial. Uh, in college, I was a major in English with 47 hours of business at the University of Iowa. And I uh, continued selling during that time. My first job out of college was with the George Hormel company. And I sold Mary Kitchen Hash, Jenny Moore Beef Stew, Spam. And um, I worked for them for about four years and decided to go back to college. And so in, I graduated in 1978 with my undergrad. And in 1982, I started at Emporia State University in Kansas with my master's in psychology. And again, I was taking a lot of business. So it was really industrial psychology. And I finished my master's with a straight A's in a year and a half and went into the Ph.D. program at University of Nebraska-Lincoln in January of 1985 under Dr. Fred Luthans, who is very famous in the field of organizational behavior and psychological capital. And he was my dissertation chair, and I was very lucky to work under Fred and, and uh, take the classes at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So we didn't have an entrepreneurship PhD at the time. So um, I would still take and do work in org behavior. My other areas were org theory, human resource management and labor relations. And my outside area was psychology, industrial psychology. And so I did my dissertation on the PREMAC principle on um, service employees, how to improve quality with employee reward systems that didn't cost anything. And uh, it was a hands-on study. So it, it was if the employees in the Burger King uh, improved quality markedly, they got to work at their favorite workstation the very next day. So that was the reward for, and we were trying to improve quality. So we improved improve quality 60% in about six weeks in that study. So it was pretty monumental, you might say. And the PREMAC principle is very simple. It basically says um, to take what is 
that you like best and you do the things you don't like as well first and the things that follow become a reward. So we did a simple survey with all the employees and asked them, what workstations do you like best and least? And we had them rank them from the, their favorite to their least favorite. And we started on maybe two thirds from the bottom where it was our least favorite. And if they improved the quality, they got to work their favorite workstation the very next time they worked. And so we improved quality by 60%. It didn't cost anything. And it was just using the pre-MAC principle that to do the things that follow what we don't like as well become rewards. And so it's a very good life lesson because if we every day do the things we don't like as well first, then the things that follow that we'd like to do, we say, okay, if we get this done, then we can go do this that we like to do and it becomes a reward. So it's something all of us can use in our daily lives. And it, it's, um, so that was basically my story in college. Uh, I graduated in 1988. My first job was at uh, Eastern Washington University in Cheney and Spokane, Washington. And um, I was hired in the management faculty and soon became friends with Dr. Leo Simpson that taught small business. And we ended up developing uh, small business and entrepreneurship courses. And, you know, I just kept teaching org behavior and love it. And I also taught human resource management. But I kept seeing myself more and more interested in entrepreneurship and how the behavior of people in as entrepreneurs changes um, and sort of combining the field of organizational behavior with entrepreneurship. And so uh, there's a whole field on the behavioral side of entrepreneurs now. And so I, I sort of combine those two disciplines into um, teaching as well as starting to do my research in that area and started building my inter my interest kept sort of going more towards the entrepreneurship and innovation side so um, that's why a lot of my early research and still the research i do deals with reward systems for people but i look at psychological capital of entrepreneurs and psychological capital of family businesses so it's it, you're able to combine both of the disciplines. Uh, in academia, they always tell you, oh, just stick to a very uh, rigid research agenda that goes along with your area, like marketing or whatever it might be. Um, I've had more of a holistic view of research in my life. And because I don't, as we all know, the world isn't in boxes. Um, that's only in academia. <laughs> and so what, what I've been able to do is have a very holistic view of research and teaching and service where I combine the different components and it makes for a very interesting career and an interesting research agenda. So I've been lucky enough to publish in just about every field in the business school as well as arts and um, even production management fields by doing that. Yeah, I think it's like uh, for me as a young researcher looking at your CV, it's kind of like super impressive 
to see like how much you you've been you have published already in so many different journals and working uh, in different fields uh, in entrepreneurship and um, I mean I remember like our last talk focused a bit more on entrepreneurial personality and you were just mentioning Fred Luthens and the um, psychap or psychological capital and maybe for our listeners can you explain a bit more on that like what's psychological capital what what does this research has to do with the entrepreneur or the entrepreneurship field um, to get a bit of an insight absolutely I'd be happy to so PSYCAP is the abbreviation for psychological capital. And the simplest way to explain it is the hero within us. The greater the hero within us, the more successful we'll be, the higher the performance. And that's true in all disciplines around the world, in all cultures, and in every type of industry and job classification. And it is obviously real applicable to entrepreneurs. So the, uh, the hero within us, which is where PSYCAT comes from, is hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism, hence the word hero. So hope, entrepreneurs have a lot, have to have a lot of hope to believe in themselves and believe in what they're doing, their product or service, to be able to go forward. Efficacy is actually believing you can do it. Then we have resilience, and that's that even if you face adversities, you keep going, and op optimism. So hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism. So what we know is all those qualities are extremely important for entrepreneurs to be able to succeed because we know that usually um, entrepreneurs don't succeed the first time. Uh, they lots of times it, it's not until their fifth business or their seventh business. I think on average, um, their seventh business actually usually starts producing a profit, but it's usually not the first time they start a business. So they've got to keep trying and to get, be flexible and do different ideas and offtakes maybe of the original idea they have and to be flexible and adjust the idea so that they do make a profit. Um, oh, and entrepreneurs can be in social entrepreneurship, so a, a business can be a for-profit or a not-for-profit. We know that not-for-profits still have to survive and make a profit, but it's really that go-getter, that hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism that is going to make an entrepreneur successful and to keep going. And um, despite people saying this isn't going to be working and a lot of naysayers. So it's particularly psychological capital or PSYCAP is particularly applicable to entrepreneurship and innovation. And I defined um, entrepreneur is to be creative and innovative in all you do that creates value. So to be an entrepreneur is to be creative, to be innovative in anything you do that creates value. And so the consumer is the one that determines the value. So 
Um, if you think about that, we all can be entrepreneurs. And I wrote a book about how to have entrepreneurship be carried across campus and in, in all the disciplines, in the arts and the sciences and music, in, you know, athletics, uh, a lot of psychological capital, actually, a lot of the research with hope comes out of the athletic sphere with early studies by um, researchers, Siegelman and others that um, tried to figure out why Olympians that maybe weren't the best physical athletes ended up winning the Olympics. And it was, they had a huge amount of hope, for instance. So some of the early studies um, that Fred put all these different hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism together to form psychological capital. And it's highly valid and reliable. Um, it's been done all over the world. There's a number of researchers in Australia that have done the validity and um, uh, reliability statistics. So it's, it's a very strong construct um, that actually holds up against anything actually. And there's now hundreds of studies done on it, but it's very important to entrepreneurs because, you know, we're facing higher, higher hills to climb up than just working for a, a business. And even being an innovator, a corporate innovator or an innovator in a small medium industry um, that maybe you're inside that business, but you're not the founder, uh, you still have to be creative and innovative in all you do. And I believe in the economy that we're in, especially now with all the changes worldwide, the most important thing you are is to be an entrepreneur, whether it's inside an organization or outside, to be creative and innovative in all you do. And you have to believe in yourself and you have to have that hero within, even if you're in a corporate structure, because you're gonna have naysayers there that doubt what you're doing or question what you're doing. And so you have to convince people and you have to sell your whole life, your, you know, who you are in your career. And that doesn't matter if you're in academia or you're in anything in life. You, you, every time you're on stage convincing people about what you're thinking or what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very helpful and a very good point, especially in in these times that being on, an entrepreneur is not only about starting a business, but it's like um, kind of like this principle of life or a mindset or state of mind. or um, And I think it um, the qualities or the... Um, you just mentioned like hope, uh, efficacy, resilience are also right now like um, uh, skills and attitudes that help <laughs> in when things are get a bit shaken up. And um, so I think um, from there, I would like to no, I mean you've you've just told us the story where you were coming from. So you grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so you've been um, exposed to this kind of lifestyle your your whole life. And I I hear this um, again and again from people we've interviewed that 
often it's been like a family member who already founded a company and so they were like um, exposed to this lifestyle so they knew that even if things didn't go so well there would be like um, times when things are going great and but for all those who maybe uh, don't have parents with like um, uh, an own business um, so the question is like how do we teach entrepreneurship and I mean as you just said like when you at the time when you did your master and PhD there wasn't anything like a PhD in entrepreneurship but the last 10 or 20 years I would say um, the field of entrepreneurship uh, really grew uh, worldwide and there's a lot of programs and you just told us like you were building up some of these programs in the US and so how do you think we can teach entrepreneurship to to people and how do we do that? Well, it's a great question, Francesca. And um, I believe anybody can be entrepreneurial. They may not be an entrepreneur, but they can be creative and innovative in the job they're doing and what they're doing inside an organization. But all organizations need entrepreneurs in everybody, everywhere. And I think in the economy we're in, it's a gig economy um, worldwide, and people are always looking for um, ways to make money, to support their families, to be, if they're refugees or immigrants, you know, we know that refugees and immigrants are entrepreneurs and have to be entrepreneurial out of necessity. And a lot of people need to think about that it's a necessity to learn entrepreneurship, no matter what, what their background or their family life. Um, I think the best way to learn it is taking entrepreneurship across the curriculum. And I wrote a book on how to do that, to put it in every discipline. It's called Creative Cross-Disciplinary Entrepreneurship, a practical perspective. It's published by Palgrave Macmillan. It came out in 2004. And actually, my two new books that just came out in the last couple of weeks, uh, one is Global Entrepreneurship, the fourth edition. And in that, we have a case study of the 18th oldest family business in the world that's still surviving. It's out of Chile, and it goes back to the conquistadors. And I use in that chapter, in that case, how that family over time has been very innovative and creative to make that family that business last from the conquistador times from Spain and um, and it, it's the oldest family business in Chile and I believe it's the 18th oldest in the world now and some of those things that they tried didn't always succeed because not everything does, but they keep on and they keep at it and they try something new and try something different. They get up and they shake off and keep going. Um, and I think that's a lesson for all of us right now, uh, especially with the pandemic worldwide. We have to be cre more creative and innovative and have higher hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism because that's what makes us successful, that's what increases our performance. The higher level of 
PSYCAP or the hero within us, the higher success rate, the higher performance rate. So I think that teaching students about entrepreneurship from grade school into high school and then have it available blended with every discipline at the university level is extremely important to every career. And um, I leave the expertise of the discipline to the faculty and I go in and I do consulting for universities around the world. I've been in Australia, I've been in Chile, um, I've been in the EU doing work where I actually work with the universities in putting entrepreneurship across campus, working with the professors, working with the administrators to make sure that happens and to show them it's a win-win. It's a win-win for the students, it's a win-win for the university, and it's a win-win for the economy. So if you think about artists, for instance, um, they may be very, very good at their art. Obviously they are, and that might be a very specific art, like sculpture or painting or charcoal paintings or watercolor paintings. Um, but they've also got to learn to be an entrepreneur, to sell it, to understand the market, to know how to price it. So all those entrepreneurial qualities are, are going to be extremely important in them succeeding in their career. Um, so we've combined that on campus and I have a conference called Entrepreneurship in the Arts that I did for many years that teaches how from from successful artists how to be entrepreneurs. And so um, I think it starts in the education systems, but you can also, if everybody isn't a university student, lots of times you can do workshops for the community to teach those skills. Um, and maybe they're not in the college system or the university system or the educational system at all. And so I think those skills are lifetime skills. They're lifelong skills. You know, they'll never go out of style. You'll never wasted your time. They don't ever become um, uh, like computer skills, you know, or floppy disks we don't have. They're never going to be obsolete. Um, you're always going to need those skills. You can always update those skills, but the basics of entrepreneurship never changes. And to understand what an entrepreneur is, what personalities they have, what skill sets, and I'm a big believer, of course, that you have to have an entrepreneurial mindset, but my belief is you also have to have an entrepreneurial skill set. And that skill set is in some ways even as important or more important than the, the mindset, because I can tell you there are many people that have an entrepreneurial mindset without ever going to any kind of education institution. It was their environment, like my environment. I was I was around that or family businesses. They come out of a family business. It's a natural if they and, and what we know is the more successful family businesses involve children at an early age on in the family business for succession. They the, the oldest do that. But if you don't have that opportunity, like you suggested, Francesca, what do you do? And it's building up that hero within us and getting that skill set in entrepreneurship, because it's not just a mindset that I, I have people that never go to school and they're successful entrepreneurs. They had they they were born with that mindset because they were modeled it their whole life around their family. 
um, oftentimes, but you can build that mindset and skill set in you if you take courses, if you um, take learning modules, um, whether it's on the internet or in any way. But you also need the skill set, not just the mindset. And to do also a feasibility business plan so that you're actually going through the steps of finding out, is it a great idea or is it really an opportunity? Many times people say, well, it's a, I know this is going to work because it's my idea and it's going to be a great opportunity. Until you really do a feasibility business plan analysis, first feasibility, is it a great idea or is it just an uh, is it really an opportunity? And then if it is an opportunity to take it the next step into a business plan. So you need to have those those um, skill sets that help you succeed in business. And what we know, if people do a feasibility plan that leads to a business plan, they're 60% more likely to succeed. So it's huge. So there's where the skill set really comes in. Hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I assume that, I mean, we've been all usually teaching entrepreneurship in a very experiential way, like, and that often means that you have to be on site or like, it's often a very uh, social way of teaching, I would say. Um, so how, how did you cope with the teaching everything online uh, the last year. In our programs, we require an internship where they work in a business, a minimum of 150 hours for credit. And we've put that in place from the very beginning of our program. We've won eight national and international awards. I just won the Global Consortium of Entrepreneurship Center's Legacy Award which is the only award that they give to an individual for lifetime achievement in entrepreneurship. And I've also won the um, Barbara Hollander Award from the Family Firm Institute for lifetime commitment to family business education and other contributions. So um, I really believe that it's, it's a case that You have to combine the learning modules. It's not all in books, but with the experiences. And I encourage my students to do two to three internships if they can through their college career. But at least to get it, we require at least one. So I think I think it's a combination of that. So the experiential is very important. Also, we try to do as much live cases. Um, in my Cases in Global Entrepreneurship book, which is now in its third edition, we've added seven new cases from around the world in that book, including like three from the United States. We didn't have any from the United States before. They were all from outside, but we have a case, uh, three cases in Pakistan. We have a case in India, and some of them are short, so they're easy to combine with a class. Um, With, for short assignments, especially for undergrads, as well as longer ones that you could use in more of a complex uh, assignment or uh, with graduate students. So I think it's getting that experiential in a number of different ways where they actually can learn the basics and then apply those basics in a case. And a lot of cases are live cases now. 
Um, and that's a great way to learn if you can bring families or entrepreneurs in the classroom and make it a live case for the students. And then it's interactive with that entrepreneur. So, and you can do that through Zoom. You can do that through online courses and just record that. Um, and, and so there's a lot of different ways we're learning now that are non-traditional. And every student learns in a different way. Some are visual learners, some are auditory learners. So we all learn in different ways. So it's really important to um, for, for students to find the best way they learn. And also for faculty, if they have you know, a classroom to realize that they need to put different learning techniques into the course so that students learn in different ways. So, you know, I still think um, if you if you had my students, um, I think we've got very well developed online courses that we've won awards for actually. Um, but we also uh, for instance in our feasibility analysis class that's that was on that started out as a face-to-face -face last spring and then COVID hit and it moved to online. And we're one of the finalists for the Small Business Institute Best Feasibility Business Plan in the United States. So I think learning can be in a, a number of different forms, but what that has to be for that case to qualify, it's gotta be with a real live entrepreneur. So we had in this case, uh, the business what is a um, male incontinence device so it's a product and um, before audrey audrey and her husband blake their name's audrey blakely and her husband um, submitted it for the class to work with the students on a team of five students i made sure that they got the patent pending so it was protected but um, they used our classes to do their feasibility business plan and this gave the students a great experience of a real live business and it wasn't made up you know and going forward and how you do that so we've taken her through that business through feasibility through the business plan class and now they're uh, working on uh, they're going to work on that case in a marketing sales class and put a sales marketing plan together for the business so there's a lot of interaction you can do in the classroom with real live businesses. And I think that's the best way students learn and their hands-on experiences. Um, in the business environment, what we know from organizational behavior actually is that people model behavior, that the best way we learn is through modeling. And that, so when they actually see an entrepreneur carrying out their job, they can model that behavior in an internship and they learn directly from the entrepreneur. And that is very, very successful. So that really the, the when I put the entrepreneurship program here, um, that core in the internship that's required is based on modeling that I learned from organizational behavior. So it all works together. I think that's also really the beauty about podcasts and why we are actually doing this show is like to show um, inspiring uh, role models or models and um, by listening to the stories, to their way of doing things, of 
how they maybe started a business or how they got into the field of entrepreneurship to just learn and um, maybe get inspired. And yeah, so that we can, as in Germany right now, we have around 15.7% of uh, female founders. And so there's quite <laughs> some potential <laughs> to raise. And so, yeah, that's um, one way um, that we try to um, show interesting stories and um, um, and it maybe inspire more women to get us into the startup scene. And if you have maybe some last uh, final words or some tips or hints, what do you want to pass on to our students? And then I think uh, we've had a super interesting talk and we touched many um, interesting topics and I hope that we could inspire our audience. I think if I had a tip is start your business now, don't wait. Um, do your homework, do your research like I talked about, but don't say, oh yeah, I'm going to start this in five years. The best time to start it is now to go forward. And it's very encouraging that the number of entrepreneurs are growing in Germany. Hopefully they're providing support services with childcare or elder care and doing training. Um, the good thing about Germany, and I, I have a great deal of respect for Germany, actually it's one of my favorite countries in the world. I was the Fulbright Hayes Distinguished Chair in Entrepreneurship for Central Europe and I was out of view in Vienna, Austria. And so I was just around the backyard or in the neighborhood, you might say. Um, but it's because their economies are so stable. And that it makes a huge difference in the support of entrepreneurs. Um, the thing is, on the other side of it, that usually they have pretty good jobs. And sort of once they work for a company, they're there forever, right? or they can be if they want. And so there's less of incentive to, to go out on the limb and be an entrepreneur and start your own business. But I think that in my lifetime, I've created three entrepreneurship centers at three different universities. And I've had to be really an entrepreneur in academia to do that and really go out on the, the edge, I can tell you. Um, Nobody, even the dean that hired me, thought I would succeed at starting this program here. It, it's not, you know, so, and here we are, and we have almost 50 courses in 27 departments now that stayed. I mean, this program, we, I started it in 2009, so um, that's, that's all positive, but I've been an entrepreneur. I've started three programs at three different, and three different centers. And then I do consulting. So I've had my own business since 1995, but I think that nothing is more rewarding. And, you know, you know, when you do it, that you'll, it's not always about the financial rewards, although we all need those. It's more about feeling like you make a difference and feeling like you make a difference in the world to make uh, the world a little bit better place. You have you have the employees, um, and if if it's you know a social entrepreneurial business, or it is a 
for profit or not for profit. You know, you're really making those decisions and it's a lot of hard work. No, I'm never going to tell you it's easy, as easy as an eight to five job. It's never going to be. And it's not that only when you get to be extremely successful that they can be less time and hours. But, you, you know, I'm here today and I love my job and I love what I'm doing. And I'm always getting new ideas and new um, things I want to try. And I think that's really what is the heart of an entrepreneur is what drives you your whole life because you only have one life to live. And so don't throw it away. Do it. You know, don't don't get to be 50 or 60 and say, oh, I wish I did that when I was 20 like I wanted to. Just do it. And it doesn't matter what age you're going to do it at. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories about very successful entrepreneurs. I think Colonel Sanders with Kentucky Fried Chicken started his business when he was 65. So there's no age limit to start a business. But I really think this it's so fulfilling. It's so satisfying. You're, it really, really is when you can go back and say, look at your work and say, I did that. You know, I contributed. I made somebody's life better. And that is really what uh, life is about. And uh, so go and do it. And I wish you all the best luck in the world. Thank you so much, Diane. I think these are super nice and motivational words uh, to end this episode. And I thank you very much for your time, for being here, for sharing all your expertise from all the years you've been working in the field and yeah and thank you for making a difference and making all these positive contributions well thank you for inviting me it's always great and i'm looking for lots of changes in the united states very quickly <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, you very much bye this was five your university podcast on female entrepreneurship We hope that today's episode sparked your curiosity and leaves you feeling inspired and motivated to explore further. Follow us on Spotify, Deezer, iTunes, or Google Podcast to never miss upcoming insights on inspiring startup stories. Thanks for listening, and until next time.